Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. And I have someone that's a, a unique individual. I love having unique people on the Intentional Encourager podcast. And this guy is unique. He is Dr. Joe Perez, Dr. Joseph Perez. And he goes by Dr. Joe. Now, I wish I could go by something cool like, <laughs> like Dr. B or maybe like Doc. You know, I don't know if I should call him Dr. J. I think that would be a little sacrilegious to, <laughs> to one Julius Irving, the Hall of Fame basketball player. But he is, he is an international keynote speaker, and he brings data to life and life to data. And we're going to get into that and so much more and tell you his story. But it is my honor to welcome Dr. Joe Perez to the Intentional Encourager podcast. Joe, how are you today? I'm doing all right, Brian. Thank you so much, sir. You're very kind to give such a such a kind and gracious introduction. And while uh, I'm not going to take Dr. J, that's for sure. I mean, I can dunk, but that's only on like a five foot basket when I'm standing on a bucket or something. But uh, I, I started to grab some some uh, some Kroger brand Oreo cookies today, so I I, I didn't do that because I'm trying to take off a few pounds, but I can dunk some Oreos if I had to. There you go, right? That's my kind of Dunkin', that's right. Yeah. Or Dunkin' Donuts or something. That, there you go. I like where your head's at, Joe. Yeah, there you go. I like go. where there your you head's go. at. Joe, yeah. in, in the midst of COVID-19, let's start here, because sure. you have had to radically alter what you do. You have given keynote addresses all over the world in, in regards to data and, and data security and things like that, but you have had to really uh, take a, a different direction, a course correction, if you will, as far as how you present material and how you mm -hmm. go about speaking to, to different co conferences and organizations. Tell me a little bit about how things have changed for you in the last several months as we record this in the midst of COVID-19. Sure, absolutely, Brian. Again, thank you so much for having me on your show, and that's a great question. Um, you know, it has... Uh, it has been a wild ride, <laughs> let me tell you. Uh, I started off the year uh, traveling to uh, Fort Lauderdale. You don't Lauderdale. say it's been a wild ride, huh? <laughs> it has, yes. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, but the year started off uh, January. Uh, um, I spoke, uh, I had the opening keynote for the Applied Data Visualization Conference, Healthcare Conference in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, followed by uh, another, it was not a keynote, but that one I had a breakout session at Convey UX in Seattle and was all set the following month, that was in March, um, after speaking at Concentric in February, um, I was all set in, in March to go to Atlanta and then DC and then Savannah, Georgia, Venice, Italy, um, then back to Chicago and uh, then to New York City. Uh, but, you know, uh, COVID-19 just has a way of changing pretty much anything and everything that you can imagine. You know, uh, it was no longer safe, of course, to, uh, to have in-person meetings. So um, one by one, they started either postponing. Some of them felt, well, you know, let's postpone until later. Like, I don't know, maybe November or something. And maybe by then we can have our in-person meeting. Uh, others said, well, let's push it into 2021 just to be safe. Yeah. Uh, and still others said, you know, the majority, the, the majority of them said, well, let's still have the conference when we were planning on having it. But instead of having it as a live in-person event, um, let's do a, some kind of digital format, uh, some kind of a virtual platform, if you will, uh, be it Zoom or uh, some other, you know, some other platform, whatever, whatever the platform, whether it was a uh, proprietary thing or not. And, and thankfully, the majority of them wanted to, you know, to, to go along with it. Now, for me, I... I I much rather be in a be at a conference where I, where it's an in-person event where I can look into the eyes of my audience and and I can 
uh, relate with them. You know, I can gauge what I'm going to say based on their body language, what I know mm -hmm. a particular joke might play better to a group full of teachers, uh, you know, to a room full of teachers than it would uh, a bunch of data scientists or something, you know, uh, you, you're not going to, uh, you're not going to speak the same way. To you one can't person. humor a bunch of data scientists, man. It's, well, <laughs> it is possible. It is possible. Rather, you're kidding rather me. Yeah, wow, no, it is yeah. possible. I've done it. I've done it. Yeah. Uh, in Chicago at the MDM Data Governance Summit last July, um, uh, July of 19, uh, 2019. Now, wait a minute. I got to ask you this. What, yes, sir. What, 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 how does a data science joke go? Does it go, does it say, you know, do you say a data scientist and an IT technician were, were sitting in a, in a room together. I mean, does that how, is that how it goes? <laughs> or you might say, uh, you know, what, uh, what happened to the, uh, what happened to the data scientist's potted plant? And you say, I don't know what happened to the data scientist's potted plant. He goes, it grew square roots. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But it might be something like that, yeah. you know? Yeah. But yeah. right, right, right. You know, they, they, they walk into a, uh, they walk into a restaurant uh, and he and he looks at him. He says, "Why the long face?" You know, or whatever. Now I, I don't know how exactly that would <laughs> that would work, but it is, it, they they can be humored. They 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 can be humored. You know, when uh, when you start talking about things that are relevant, and that's just it. Is in, in an in person on uh, in an in person event, it's easier to read the body language. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, of of your crowd. You know, I mean, even when they're uh, on a Zoom thing, you know, when they're little bitty postage stamp size squares, you know, Hollywood squares or Brady Bunch around the corner, you know, around the corners. Yeah, it, it, you can you can see them and you at least see their faces and gauge how you're going to react and how you're going to um, gauge what you're going to say. Um, but I like to be interactive with the audience, asking them questions. Uh, my goal when I stand before folks, like I talk about uh, cultivating a climate for paradigm shift, I talk about the three-pronged approach, the words, keywords that start with R, dealing with change. You recognize certain things about change, you resolve certain actions that you're going to take and then you respond in a certain way so those three words i'll i might ask them okay what was the first one what was the you can't really do that as easily in a virtual event as you can in an in-person event so part of the pivoting was figuring out uh how i can uh try to engage the audience uh in, in a different way and and part of that came with designing games that I used at uh, uh, at the very end using a couple of different online platforms. Uh, it was pretty neat. You know, the questions that I would ask, they'd be like multiple choice type questions. They'd flash up on the screen, you know, and, and they would answer. And uh, based on how quickly they answer, there would be certain point values uh, that would be assigned to, to them for answering more quickly. They'd be rewarded. You'd see uh, like a leaderboard as we progress through uh, probably about 10, uh, about 10 questions or so. It'd take about 10, 15 minutes to go, to go through it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've gotten a lot of really, uh, really good positive responses from that. And people so, really loved it. So how do you, so let me, let me take it and, and, and bring it to where you are with mm -hmm. keynote speaking and things like that. How do you, or have you, how have you applied the three R's that you talk about to your own business and to your own way of, of sure. delivering content because it's easy, Joe, to talk to someone else and say, well, here's the three R's of change. And, and, and I, I, I had a post uh, just today on LinkedIn. Um, you can go back and see that when, when you hear the, the, the podcast recording. And I talked about being, you know, talked about care, you know, being consistent, authentic, relatable, and engaging. Right. And so, you know, I've had to do those things in my own life through this, Absolutely. through this pandemic. So how have you incorporated those three R's of change that you speak to into how you do things today? Sure. Absolutely. So the first R being recognize. I had to recognize the, the way things were pivoting from uh, an in-person audience to a virtual audience, recognizing that uh, as I tell the folks, change is inevitable, inexorable, and inspiring. So um, in, in doing so, I would seek out uh, 
other speakers to see, hey, how did you how did you handle this? You know, how how did you pivot your your strategy as well? And I would bounce off ideas uh, as I would connect with people on LinkedIn or people would connect with me. We bounce ideas off. Conversations are so important. Yeah. And I mean to interrupt you there. No, that's all right. Those conversations are really important because a lot of times you can almost feel like Joe, you're you're on an island. Yeah. You're kind of in your own little bubble. You're in your own little world. How am I going to deal with this? When you stop and think and you recognize to what you just said, that there are other people that keynote speak for a living and do these things that have their right. own, that are in the same, they're in the very same situation you are because the conference world basically shrank down to almost nothing That's or exactly it became right. a, a virtual based way to connect and things sure. like that through all the different platforms. I love what you said there because so many times people in business or so many people in, in maybe in clergy or, or different walks of life don't recognize that they are not alone in right. walking through these different areas. Exactly. And it was, you know, seeking out others and also being willing to help others and talk with them and, you know, share the things that I had, had learned. Yeah, that's a great point too. Right. That and the cool thing about it, it's it resulted in much larger audiences for each of these um, uh, each of these events that was held in a, in a virtual format. Mm -hmm. uh, in addition to that, it led to quite a number of more invitations. I mean, by the by the time I get to the end of 2020, I will have spoken at 27 different conferences, Man, and I'm only scheduled to job. speak at 12. You know, I go from 12 to 27. I just it's just unbelievable. Well, it's the connection that that people right. feel as 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 though, and and again, it is it is easy to be reactive, right? Another R, reactive. Yeah, when, <laughs> when of proactive. Well, yeah, it's easy to be reactive and say, well, I I don't know how this is going to come together, and then somebody goes, okay, Joe, I think you would be great to speak over here. You may not have the contact, but I do. And because you were so gracious to help me, I'm going to proactively refer you to somebody else. And I think that's the great thing, Joe, that, yes. that COVID has done is it's Absolutely. brought more people together from parts of the, from all, I, I had a call the other day, I had a call on Tuesday with a lady in Australia. Here I am sitting in West Virginia. I'm like, <laughs> You, this is as far away from Australia as you can get. But but Zoom and, and these virtual platforms just bring people together. And I love what you said about the collaboration. And, and, and before we get into a couple of the other R's, talk about the importance of collaboration. Because I know there's somebody listening that says, you know, I have a competitor down the street that I have put up walls with because we're competitors yep but now they may be facing the same things and it may be a great opportunity for people who have been diametrically opposed for whatever reason or another now to come together and collaborate absolutely uh forget uh, uh forget these people building walls uh against each other uh let's start building some bridges Okay, <laughs> that's what I want to do. I, I want to build a brick because, see, as an edu I was an educator for 10 years before I got into my IT career, and I'm still an educator. I always, always have been, always will be a yeah. teacher at art, you know. And, and, and part of the, the art of communication is collaboration, and part of that is building a bridge where you, you, you try to take someone from known to unknown. In my case, I've got the known. I've got the information that they want. I'm in a state of known. They're in a state of unknown. How do I get them from where they're at to where I want them to be yep. unless I do build a bridge, find common ground, and give them something that relates, something that resonates with them? You know, uh, they are either going to, um, um, they're either going to adopt what I'm telling them or they're going to adapt what I'm telling them so they can work with it. And yeah. if they if they either learn to adopt or adapt, they're gonna end up being adept. 
is typically what That's I tell right. them. And, and I found that, that so to be good. true. Yeah. That is so good. Because again, adoption is easy. Right. Adapting is not. Nope. But then becoming adept at something is a skill that is born from the marriage of adopting and adapting. Yes. That's and, precisely the point I'm getting. Yeah. Exactly and I love that. I yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I yeah. love that. Glad you picked up on that. That's good. That's well, yeah, I mean, you know, it's the blind squirrel theory in full effect, Joe. The blind squirrel <laughs> finds it not every once in a while. That's but, right. But talk about the second, the, the two other R's. And I didn't mean to, to take us no, off into okay. a, to a side tangent, but I loved where that, that piece of the conversation went because yeah. we uncovered something else. So the second R that you talk about is? Sure. The second R is resolve. Uh, I talk about resolving to balance both deference and determination. Those are opposite things. They are uh, diametrically opposed to each other, but yep. they have to be brought into, uh, into balance. And uh, as I start venturing out into some of these, uh, uh, some of these virtual platforms, uh, I had to resolve to not turn back, okay? Uh, you know, I, I make a commitment, I'm going to stick with it. I have to resolve yeah. that whether it's a live audience or it's a virtual audience, I'm going to give them the same level of dedication, the same level of passion uh, that I would if I were right in front of them. You know, a speaker that doesn't give his or her audience the time that they deserve does not deserve himself or herself to be behind that microphone well you have to you have and i learned this you you mentioned being an educator mm -hmm. i learned this as a sunday school teacher when when i was i was teaching sunday school and i was teaching 11 and 12 year old kids pre-teens <laughs> pre-teens those i i could teach teenagers i could teach those were the hardest kids that I had to teach because you always had to bring them something that kept their attention. Right. And we would do, I had a lady that worked with me and she was fabulous. And, and she would, I, I would say, I've got this idea. You're probably going to think it's the dumbest thing you've ever heard. <laughs> and, and we would pull it off. And the kids would go, I had kids when I, when I gave up teaching that age, when we were at, at, a, at a church, I had kids and their parents come up to me and say, or their parents would say, my kids, would you reconsider? Because my kids still talk about the stuff that you did in teaching Sunday school. People remember whether they're 11 or they're 48, like I am, they remember things yep. that you do to to resolve to to resolve to relate is, yes. is exactly what i'm thinking when you talk about resolve in this and you, and you bring it up in the midst of these keynote sessions when you do hear that feedback what are some of the things that you hear as far as feedback goes when you talk about resolve because I, joe i think a lot of people have had their resolve tested Oh yes, more so in 2020 than they've ever had it tested before in their in their adult lives. Mm -hmm. Resolve that isn't tested won't stand up to scrutiny. Um, resolve that isn't tested isn't going to last. Resolve that isn't tested uh, is going to fall apart at the first sign of trouble. Okay, going through the testing is what really strengthens. It. It's no different than exercise. You know, you, you don't think you can do those first 10 or 12 curls or whatever. You know, you're, 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 you're just going one at a time. And, uh, but then you have to keep on going, knowing, knowing what the end result is that you're looking for, knowing yeah. what, uh, what it is that you're striving after. Okay. Yeah. That uh, end goal in sight, uh, looking at it for the long term instead of for the short term that is what's going to keep you resolved and focused. Uh, and, and, and see, that's, that's what I have to keep reminding myself and knowing, yeah. okay, I'm, I'm in this thing for a reason. I'm in this thing 
for the long haul. I'm going to focus on the long-term things, not the, the long-term gain rather than the short-term inconvenience, you know. Well, I'm and resolve focus... has to be resolute. Yes. Resolve has to be resolute because, Joe, here's the thing, too, and, and I love what you said there. Most of the time, we have become a society that is short-term based. Absolutely. The soundbite see... generation. Exactly. Yes, I love that. And a lot of people, you know, we forget that our grandparents and our great-grandparents went through not only, you know, some of them, of course, uh, some of them have passed away now, but, but uh, 100 years ago, our country went through a pandemic in 1918 right. with the, the Spanish, Spanish flu. flu. Yep. And, and then 10 years later, 11 years later, we had the Great Depression. Right. Then another 10 years, we start World War II. You know, and so again, we, we, we have, we've seen to, and, and for, for us, you know, we, we've just recently come through the 9-11 remembrance. And next year will be 20 years of 9-11. So every, every 10 years or so, it seems like that we go through something that tests our resolve and tests mm -hmm. who we are and what we are. But people that don't have, that are not resolute, and I love that resolve. People that are not resolute, Joe, they tend to quickly fall apart. So take me to the third one because I've got a feeling that third R kind of marries real well to, to the two that you just talked about. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. So the third one is respond. You know, what good does it do you um, having recognized these characteristics of change, having recognized what you need to do to pivot, okay, mm -hmm. and having resolved to do so, making up your mind that you're going to focus on the long term instead of the short term, yeah. uh, that you are going to balance deference with determination, that you are going to focus on the positive gains instead of the negative inconvenience or whatever, what good does it do you if you don't respond. You know, what good is it going to do you uh, having seen what it is that you need to do? Uh, you stand still and don't move forward. You know, you're, you're not yeah. going to progress at all. It's knowing how to respond. Okay. Uh, I look at it as an inward embracing, an upward empowering, and an outward encouraging. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's what I try to do, you know, is, is look within first and see, okay, what is it that I need to change about myself? You know, it's, uh, uh, you know, if I, I look in the mirror and I don't like what I see, it's not the mirror's fault, okay? <laughs> you know, don't get mad at the mirror. That's you know? exactly right. Well, I just, I saw a commercial for a mirror that it, it's a workout mirror. So there's a little guy in the mirror and it's, and it's, it's a virtual mirror. And it encourages you like, come on, one more sit up. One more. And I'm thinking to myself, if I need that mirror, I need a lot more help than just the sit ups. <laughs> you got that right. Like a Peloton mirror or something like that. Oh, my but, word. But Joe, what you just said is so good because when I think of response, and, and, and here's, here's where I want to go real quick before we get sure. into your story is so many people in, in, in today's culture feel like they have to respond when, when posting on social media or doing something like, well, you know, I have to post. You know, I was talking to somebody about this earlier, and, and we were talking about social media, and, and it was like people feel like today they have to respond. Like, I am so mad about something, I have to post. Or I'm so mad about something, or I just have to vent. I just have to get this off my chest. And it's a response of showing up and throwing up instead of responding in a way that, to your point, has upward movement and encourages others. Yes. And it has that three-pronged approach. We're just responding now just to respond instead, right. of, instead of intentional response. Whether and that's it's not a response. That's just a reaction. There's a difference a between great a reaction point. and yeah. a response. A response is well thought out. A reaction is it, it just something where you blow off the steam, you know, and, and you just, they call it knee-jerk 
Well, it's called knee-jerk reaction for a reason. You get knee, you don't see the need and you act like a jerk. That's yep. why it's knee-jerk. <laughs> How's that? Yeah. I love it. You, yeah, yeah. You know, you be, but but the knee-jerk reaction is, it is a reflex where that where that comes from. It's a reflex when the doctor takes the little mallet thing to check your reflexes right and hit your knee your knee should respond a certain way it's it it's a natural but we we sure. think today we've been conditioned joe as a society to really believe that everything that we see and hear we've got to respond to it and that's not the case we don't have okay. to respond to everything that we see and hear because there are some mm -hmm. things that we shouldn't respond to. You and I are both Christians. There are some things that we shouldn't respond to Absolutely. because it's contrary to the word of God and, and the relationship that we have with the Lord. And I, I told my son this, and I, I want to say this real quick before we pivot. When my son approached his mom and I, my wife, about getting Facebook, and this was probably eight or eight or nine years ago, <laughs> I said, you've got three rules. The first rule is you don't post anything that doesn't encourage, uplift, make somebody smile or make somebody laugh. So you don't post anything that doesn't fit in those parameters. The second thing is if you get snarky, you're done. In other words, if, if you want to, to violate those rules, you'll be done. And the third thing is you don't say anything that you don't own or embarrasses our family. Mm -hmm. because I've go. done that. I've been guilty of that knee-jerk reaction right. of that posting instead of thinking about what I'm posting and wondering, okay, how is this going to affect my family? How is this going to affect my church? How is this going to affect my ministry? By posting this, and I had to, to set those guidelines in place, but it was a reminder to myself that I am a reflection of how I respond. Exactly. I am a reflection of how I respond. And, and I love what you said there, man. I, I am so grateful that you brought that up because, again, I think we've got people listening to this. And I hope you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh, man, because I'm thinking the same thing, Joe. I'm thinking, how am I responding? Exactly. How am I responding? And so I love what you said mm -hmm. there. Take me as far back as you want to take me in the in the audience into your story because everybody has a story and i just go back as far as you want to go and tell your story of how you got from point a to to where we are today because i know you didn't come out of the womb being a keynote speaker so take <laughs> us through your story <laughs> well i came out my mom would tell you and my wife would probably also tell you i probably yeah, I didn't come out of the womb being a keynote speaker. I came out of the room. I came out of the womb being a ham. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay. For, from the from the very beginning, you know. So uh, I've, um, you know, it, it it all. I've always wanted. I'd always wanted to be a teacher. I always wanted to to share. You know, I, I get excited. I get passionate about new knowledge. I learn something new, and I want to share it. Uh, I learn something new. I discover how to do something, you know, whatever that thing may be. Yeah. And I want to share it. So um, I went to school to be a teacher. Uh, mm -hmm. My undergraduate, uh, uh, my undergraduate degree is in secondary education. Um, and I started as a, as a school teacher for, for 10 years. And during that time, I uh, continued my higher education and uh, got both a master's and a doctoral degree uh, also in secondary education my god bless degree, you i couldn't do it i i, I stopped oh, it in an mba in the neck <laughs> let me tell you what it it was tough for uh uh for about uh 10 almost 10 years uh i, I was working on those degrees and uh, uh my doctoral degree has a double minor in computers and theology uh and so you know the uh that's uh, you know joe that's that's that is so it's it's like that old 
that that little song which of these things is not like the other computers yeah, right. and theology, and theology. Yeah. right yeah you would think that's not yeah. a you know that that's not a you know that that that's not a good mix but uh i i will say this um yes as you say i am indeed a christian uh i i know the lord jesus christ is my savior and lord and i am not ashamed about it i'm not going to cram it down anybody's throat and yeah. I will respect others if they happen to believe differently than I believe, uh, and that's fine. You know, that's that's up to you. Um, I will share my faith every opportunity I get. Yep. Uh, and I will respect people who who feel differently. I will respectfully disagree. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, you know, I'm going to be nice about. It. I'm not going to be obnoxious about it. Uh, but at the same time, that particular um, uh, that is part of who I am. And it's pretty clear on on the bios whenever I get interviewed for you know uh, conference speaking things and and not once has it ever caused me to get kicked off the stage or asked not to come back. I'm very grateful for that. I mean, uh, other than the grace of God, I don't know how you know if they yeah. hear me speak, maybe that's why they don't want me to come back. Uh, but no, uh, you know, being a Christian is a thing that's supposed to define what I am, as it would if I were a member of any faith you know whatever faith you are if, if your faith is not the kind of thing that's going to dictate the kind of person that you are or at least inform how you are and how you react you know it's it's the grid through which you interpret the things that come your way and yeah. how you're going to act and react uh and respond rather than react uh, as we as we talked about before and uh and so um you know the, the the theology and the education uh, i taught at christian schools um i taught spanish bible computers history and economics uh a and wide when you variety teach it, of things. yeah and when yeah. you teach at a christian school I, and i i know this because my son went to a christian high school he went to two mm -hmm. christian high schools went to one and then transferred to another one and i have i've done public address announcing for basketball games at both the schools that he attended Mm -hmm. The teachers wear a lot of different hats at yes, Christian schools because, um, you know, the, 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 just to be very honest, the, the pay is not as robust as, nope. as the, as the public school and the benefits, but you get the chance to more directly impact the yes. lives of your students and not just for four years while they're in high school, you get a chance to impact their eternity as Absolutely. well too and so Absolutely. you know you, you get to you get to impact something that lasts well beyond this life when you think about the time that you taught in in a christian school what was the one thing do you have a particular moment that that really stands out to you about that time teaching in a christian school that oh, you'll yes. go man i'll never forget this for the rest of my life several moments like that uh it's things like when uh when you go to a kid's basketball game and you cheer your living guts out you know that has nothing to do with preaching the gospel but has everything to do with showing a kid that you care about their life their you know and knowing that sports is something that god can use you know the the dedication of um, you know, giving it everything you've got on the field uh, and doing your very best in whatever uh, venue of life that you're in and knowing that someone like a teacher that you look up to and you think, oh, he or she is just going to be in the classroom telling me what to do and showing me stuff or whatever, but you show up at a ball game when they know you got 500 papers to grade and you're going to go anyway you're tired, you're sleepy, but you're going to go anyway and yeah. you're going to show your support uh, for them in their endeavor and knowing that um, that they are going to show a good Christian testimony and not, you know, uh, try to commit more fouls or whatever. You know, Christian ballplayers can commit fouls just yes, as they much. can. <laughs> yeah, they can. Okay. But, you know, they're, they're, uh, they know that they're going to try for much higher motivation not just to you know get this or not just to uh you know uh, lose the game or whatnot but to know uh the the value of sportsmanship the value of fairness the value of dedication the value of hard work on the court you know um and and knowing that you have someone like a teacher 
whom you look up to to be there uh, means a great deal. And to have them come later and tell me, and even more so now, I see it now. That was 30 something years ago. And even to this day, those kids have now grown up. We still go to the same church. They now have kids of their own that are that are in school and stuff. And and they come up to me and tell me how much they appreciated, um, you know, my uh, being consistent with them, caring enough about them to yep. not only teach, but also to uh, participate in some of their extracurricular activities. I've had some of them come up to me and they say, I just love the way you and Miss Perez, you know, you're all are always holding hands, you know, and you're always looking at each other and you're opening the door for her or whatever. And uh, that uh, meant such a great deal to me. And now I look at them, they're all grown up. They've got their own wives and things that I didn't even know I was teaching them. I see them the way they treat their wives and their kids and the way now they are continuing that same legacy. Uh, so if you ask me to point to a single moment, there's gobs of moments, you know, yeah. uh, there's a biblical principle that you reap what you sow. And that's not always the bad stuff. What goes around comes around. That's true. But it's also interpreted in a positive sense in that, uh, you know, you sow uh, these good seeds of, of love and caring and, and integrity and values into these kids and 30 years later, they have those same values. They're passing it on yeah. to their kids and they're thanking you for it. And you see that the impact that you thought was a tiny thing has wound up being a much greater impact than, uh, than you imagined. To me, that to me is worth more than every single keynote that I've ever had at a, at a secular conference. Uh, what did, is to have people tell me that, you know. What did you learn from teaching? that has helped you in keynote speaking to make a connection with your audience to know your audience to read your audience you have to know your material and you have to know your audience uh you're not going to teach math to a fifth grader in the same way that you would a senior in high school in the same way getting back to the example about uh, the joke with the data scientists you know you're not going it's it's the same concept it might be even the same presentation in my case the one about actionable data you know and knowing that as a teacher you have to know your students and adjust how you're going to say things and how you're going to present it what illustrations you use even the inflection in your voice yeah. um that's going to differ based on where people are in life, what occupation they're at, what the theme of the conference is, um, you know, where they are at in, excuse me, in the hierarchy of their organization where they work. All that relates to teaching and knowing that. The knowing of the material also comes back to teaching. Um, being able to give something that resonates with your audience, something that is, uh, is specific enough that they gain additional knowledge yet generic enough that doesn't get you down into the weeds you know yep. it has to resonate with them because you know i'm just going to get one shot you know uh, 30 minutes 45 minutes in front of them for a keynote or something and i'm going to make an impact on them and now you know uh it may not be the same kind of an impact that i had when i was a teacher because it was an everyday thing this is just a one shot 45 minute deal but, you know, if I can touch one life that that person goes back to their job, uh, you know, whatever functional area that they're seeking to excel, and because of something that I said to them, whether it was a joke that brightened their day, whether it yeah. was an encouragement that lightened their load, or whether it was additional knowledge that brightened their their concept of this particular thing, you know, and, and I have ignited within them the same passion about their data or about their job that I have about mine, then I consider myself a success. That comes from teaching. Part of being a teacher is you have a passion about your subject. You want to ignite that passion within yeah. the mind, within the heart of the person who's on the other side of that room, the other side of the mic, or the other side of the screen when it's a, a, a virtual conference or you know some other type of digitized event. Take me to the first time that you did a keynote that, okay. that you, that you did because speaking, you know, and I, and I, and Joe, I'll say this. I was three the first time my dad had me sing in church. 
Oh my. I'm 48 now. So, so when somebody says, okay, sit down and sing something or, you know, it's like, ah, you know, I've done this, I've done this so much. I don't get nervous anymore. Right. But doing something different when you, when you go from teaching and now you're giving a keynote address and instead of impressionable kids in the room, there are, there are skeptical adults in the room. Yes. And so take me to that first time that you gave a keynote, kind of what was that thought process like for you and, and kind of what were you thinking of? Were you thinking, oh boy, or were you thinking, oh no? I was thinking, oh goodness, <laughs> what am I doing here? Wow, you know, why did they ask me to do this? Um, uh, it was uh, the the very first keynote was to uh, 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 to a group of people that were in an HR um, uh, HR division of uh, Fidelity Investments. Mm -hmm. They were um, their um, uh, their HR function was being outsourced uh, to another company. Oh my! And uh, yeah, and and they were. They still had their jobs, but uh, it was uh, it was a huge change, and they wanted to have someone that could come in and 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 talk about how do you handle this change? How do you go from being where you were to where you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow? As a matter of fact, that particular instance was where this topic, the cultivating a climate for paradigm shift topic, the three R's, that was the birth of that. For that, is, that is what gave me the idea uh, for that particular topic. And believe it or not, that was in 2002, mm -hmm. okay, 18 years ago. And it wouldn't resurface for another 16 years uh, when I spoke at the, uh, the Raleigh CIO, or excuse me, the premier CIO forum at the Raleigh Convention Center in, in uh, December of 2018. So that was, yes, a 16-year period of time. Uh, it, it, I didn't even, you know, I, I had no idea what I was going to talk about until they, you know, they, they approached me and saying, well, this is what we're going through. And so my thought process uh, at the time, there was about 150 people there. Um, and my thought process was, okay, what are these people going through? You know, what is it that they need from me? You know, what do they want to get out of this? Uh, how can I get there? And again, I start applying those same principles I learned as a teacher, you know, going from known to unknown, make it relevant, make it resonate. You know, this whole, again, the adapt, adopt, adapt thing that I talked to you about earlier. Yeah. You know, I went through that whole, that whole thinking process and knowing, all right, I've got to make this relevant. I've got to make sure it resonates with them. I got to put myself in their shoes. And, um, you know, what am I going to do to help them deal with this huge pivoting? There was no pandemic. There was no, you know, nothing like that. You know, 18 years ago, we had no idea what was going to happen. Um, you know, but it, it, it was something that uh, uh, I, I was nervous. Um, but, you know, I, I was comfortable, uh, I, I've been comfortable speaking with people. I'd, I'd spoken, uh, uh, they weren't keynotes, but I'd been speaking, you know, at, at uh, all different kinds of events for NC State University when I taught there, or taught, I didn't teach there, excuse me, when I worked there um, for our workshops and things that we had. But, mm -hmm. uh, but this, was, this was a little different. It was a bigger group. Uh, and you know, it was like I was the main event. <laughs> yeah. So no pressure. <laughs> but no, I just had no, to, not like, at all, no pressure. Yeah, not at yeah. all, not at yeah. all. Yeah. But yeah, no. The the that was the main thing is is all right. What is it that they need from me, and what can I? What do I need to do to deliver? Uh, and set about giving them something that would deliver and give them what they did need. And of course, a lot of prayer <laughs> and yeah. supplication here. You know, going up uh, and. Uh, it was a very, very rewarding experience. Joe, take me through the biggest obstacle that you've overcome, whether in, in speaking, teaching, wh wherever it is. Take us through the biggest obstacle you've overcome, and what was the, the greatest lesson that you learned from that? Sure. Oh, boy. Well, I think the biggest obstacle was in when my wife came down with bacterial meningitis 10 mm. years ago 
and um, I'm going to try not to get emotional. So. Um, I, besides my eternal salvation, my wife, Diana, is the greatest gift that God ever gave me. Yep. And um, we've been married for 36 years. Um, she's my best friend. And uh, I, I love her dearly. I love her more than life itself. Um, but she came down with bacterial meningitis. And uh, uh, I thought I was going to lose her. Uh, I almost did. Mm -hmm. uh, it was touch and go in the, in, uh, in, the, uh, in the ICU. And that obstacle, the obstacle was knowing that the dearest person on this earth to me is about to be taken away from me, you know, um, and I'm sorry, this is a very vulnerable no, moment no, for me no, right no, now. Go ahead. You know, um, and not knowing what was going to happen and, uh, uh, you know, wondering would, how, how do I go on as a widower? You know, what, uh, what's the first thing I, and, and yet by the grace of God, you know, I, I was spared and God spared her life and, and, uh, believe me, it was, uh, that was a huge obstacle. And, uh, the, the lesson is, um, to be more appreciative for the life of someone, someone who means that much to you, you mm -hmm. should show it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, whatever it is that she's worth, uh, she's worth any trouble that I have to go yeah. through to, uh, you know, to, uh, to be a blessing and a help help to her, you know, um, is uh, increasing your gratitude and appreciation for a thing that you almost lose. Yeah. Um, uh, focusing on regardless of what's going to happen, God's going to take care of me and knowing that, uh, you know, regardless of the outcome, I'm, I'm still in the palm of his hand. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he that abideth under the shadow of the almighty. I mean, you know, that, that's, or it, 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 it's times like that where verses from the Bible came to life, okay, uh, promises that I will never leave you nor forsake you. Yeah. Those things, you know, you, you treasure the things that you have learned, you, you treasure the things that, um, uh, that you know are true principles, and yet you come face to face, you know, it smacks you right in the face that it's going to be death at any moment, um, that is when you realize, okay, you know what, she, this is how much she is worth to me, this is what I'm going yeah. to do, you know, this is how I'm going to show my appreciation, this is how uh, I'm going to live out these principles that I know are true, and it's times like this that when those things are put to the test, uh, it's like gold, you know, tried by fire, okay, uh, gold, uh, 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 the, the gold that is the purest is the one that's gone through uh, the most intense fire. And, uh, and I think that that was, um, uh, that was the biggest, biggest obstacle ever. And uh, I mean, she's totally recovered now, you know, it's been 10 years and uh, I'm more grateful for, uh, for my sweet Diana every, every day, every day of my life. That's, that's wonderful. That is, that is so cool. Last question I've got for you, and I, I appreciate your candor and your candidness there and sharing a, a very personal moment in your life. What's the biggest piece of intentional encouragement that you can leave with folks today? Be real. Um, be positive. Be true to yourself, true to what you believe. Um, don't let the negativity that spews from this world, that spews sometimes from TV, from politicians, regardless of what political party you're, you, you know, I, I'm not even going to get into that. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> um, be, be true to what you believe. Okay. Uh, don't compromise your, your principles. Um, you're, you're faced, whatever you're faced with, uh, remain true. Don't lie. Don't cheat. You know, uh, uh, don't focus on the negative, look for the bright side, because, you know, no matter how bad things get, uh, somebody else has got it some, somebody else has got it worse than you. Yep. Uh, and, and look for ways 
that you can be an encouragement to someone else. Look for ways that you can take the um, the uh, the lessons, the pivoting that you may have done. You know, whether it's in your personal life, whether it's in speaking, uh, whether it's in teaching, whether it's in you have a loved one who gets sick. You know, whatever you may not go through the same thing, but you know what? Take what you've learned and recognize someone else is going through something worse. Yeah. And what sympathy and compassion that you can have on someone else who's going through a tough time, uh, go ahead and intentionally reach out to someone who, who is facing some trial or, or some bad situation in their life and recognize, you know what, I made it through this. Hey, can I do something to help you? Yeah. You know, uh, speak a word of, of kindness, you know. And um, don't let yourself be, be sucked into negativity um, and, and know that, uh, you know, you're going to make it. Just, just hang on. And uh, by the grace of God, and if you don't believe in God, that's, that's fine. But, yep. you know, you're going to make it and that's help right. somebody else make it along the way. That's right. Dr. Joe Perez, man, this has been fantastic. I appreciate it. Tell folks where they can find you real quick and uh, connect up with you. Absolutely. So on, on LinkedIn, you can find me, uh, Dr. Joe Perez. The uh, LinkedIn is forward slash J-W-P-E-R-E-Z. My website is Dr. Joe Perez, just the way it's uh, D-R-J-O-E-P-E-R-E-Z. And on Sessionize, you can find me at sessionize.com forward slash J-O-E dash P-E-R-E-Z. And you can also find him on Twitter at J-W Perez, man. Forgot about that. Yes. Forgot so, Twitter. Yeah, Sorry. I, that's okay. That's okay. Very, very good. Joe, this has been phenomenal. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Absolutely, Brian. It was my honor. Thank you so much for having me on board. And um, I wish you all the best, sir. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Meads. And the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. And until next time, remember, everyone, everywhere, at any time and any place can be 